Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, and I have a very special guest today, Dr. Jude Currison. Jude has a master's degree in physics from Oxford University, specializing in quantum mechanics and cosmology, and a doctorate in archaeology from the University of Reading in the UK, researching ancient cosmologies. Previously one of the most senior business women in the UK, she is a member of the Evolutionary Leader Circle and has worked with wisdom teachers from many traditions around the world. A lifelong researcher into the nature of reality, she is the author of six books that integrate leading-edge science with consciousness and universal wisdom teachings into a holistic whole-world view. Her latest book, is the Cosmic Hologram, Information at the Center of Creation. And today, she joins us from her home in Wiltshire, England. Welcome, Jude. Oh, Miriam, it's a delight to be with you and all our listeners. Thank you for inviting me. Well, now I am thrilled to have you on the show. I have two scientists in the family who are definitely getting a copy of your book in the mail. I was married to a nuclear physicist for 25 years, so I was somewhat familiar with the ideas. But I almost feel like, like I have earned a degree just by reading it. I mean, the scope of the book is monumental, Jude. Did you set out to write the story of the cosmos, or did it just emerge fractally? <laughs> I think a bit of both, really. I think the book wrote me, but I've been really wanting to write this book for 60 years, six zero years, because I, I began to experience multidimensional realities from the age of four. And I literally began to walk between worlds and experience reality as the cosmic hologram. Um, but it's taken all of this time for the scientifically based evidence to catch up, not just with my experiences, but with the experiences of spiritual seekers and, and explorers of consciousness, you know, for millennia. Um, and it literally has only been in the last couple of years that the evidence, the scientific evidence, across many fields of research and all scales of existence was so compelling, and it's still growing, but it's so convincing and compelling that I was literally able to write this book to share that and to literally reconcile science at long last with the evidence, with universal spiritual experiences and the nature of consciousness itself. How fascinating. You, you did mention in your book that you started having these, I guess you would call them trans-dimensional experiences from the mm. age of four. But usually the people that I meet who have had these experiences tend to be on the woo-woo side. And you are so deeply rooted in science. Um, yeah. What guided you onto the scientific path? I suppose. I mean, if you were to ask my mum, and she's passed over now, but what was the what was I what was I about when I was young? It was always why, 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 how, how, how. Why is reality how you know what it is? How is it what it is? So in a way, my direct experiences were getting me deeper into an understanding of the meaning and the purpose of reality, but the how needed the science to actually then bridge 
those trans-dimensional experiences with our understanding of the physical realm. And because I, you know, the, the best understanding of how scientifically was taking place at the most tiny level of the quantum world and the largest cosmological level, that was what I specialized in to try and bring those two scales of existence together that then link it with a deeper understanding of the realities I was experiencing. It's interesting that you mention your teacher, Toth, who also goes by the name of Hermes. Um, and how did he influence you or guide you? Well, I've been fortunate over my life to work with, you know, as, I, as you mentioned, you kindly mentioned, the wisdom teachers of many traditions. And those wisdom teachers range from discarnate beings such as Thoth. And I always wanted validation. You know, I didn't want to have the woo-woo. I didn't want, you know, I really mm -hmm. wanted to, to ground my experiences, as you quite rightly say, in reality. And as a daughter of a coal miner, <laughs> I couldn't do anything else. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but also to have validation. So when I was having precognitive experiences or telepathic experiences or remote viewing, I was always looking for the validation of, of those, mm. but also being taught by some wonderful scientists, some amazing shamans, some deeply profound thinkers um, across the world. I've journeyed to about 70 countries, and so I've experienced many, many different levels of teaching and communication and the wisdom traditions of, of most traditions within our human story. So it's been an incredible tapestry of learning, and throughout the whole thing, I've always not only asked why and how, but I've always wanted to just follow the evidence wherever it led and be willing to follow it wherever it leads and not hang on to hypotheses or perspectives that were then the evidence showed were, were limited or fragmented or, or, or you know, um, not the, the, the full picture. And it's still a work in progress mm -hmm. for me and for all of us. But I think what's exciting now is we're at this point where at long last leading edge science really is providing the evidence that is reconciling with you know universal spiritual experiences and the understanding of the experiences of consciousness that so many folks have explored over the years. It does seem to be coming together in, in a marvelous way. How would you summarize the book? It's a seed point for transformation, I feel, because up till now, although there's been the hope and the trust and the faith that when we have these amazing experiences of something beyond the physical realm, you know, we hope and we trust that they're, they're real. We hope that we can have a sense of them being an expanded sense of reality. But unfortunately, the scientific paradigm, the mainstream science, has told us that no, they're imagination, or they're not real, or they are peripheralized. So for me, the book is, is one of the first, if not the first, that's been able to bring all of the science, not just in physics, but biology, um, information theory, um, whole, you know, systems analysis, social behaviors, across all scales of existence to really present the compelling evidence 
that the appearance, the duality based appearance of physical reality is, is not what reality really is about. And then to be able to bring forward um, a view, a context, not for duality based perception, but to show the unified, truly unified nature of reality and where we are microcosmic co-creators of our realities. We hear that message a lot, but I think your book probably gives a uniquely clear and understandable foundation for how that could come about. It is so um, frustrating that we have so little time in this interview to actually lay out the, the meticulous case that you have built at each stage. So maybe we could just focus on a few key messages that we can explain in more depth. What, what would you say are the key messages of the book? Well, first of all, science has known for a long time that what we call physical reality is very ephemeral. But now what it's understanding is that the information that actually you know, flows through all our technologies, underpins all our technologies, is actually exactly the same as universal information that is more fundamental than energy and matter and space and time itself. In other words, our universe, what we call physical reality, is innately informed. And we're also understanding it's holographically manifested. Our universe, the physical reality of our universe, is literally a cosmic hologram. So there's that first point. The second point is when you understand that physical reality is this en enfolded hologram of information, that we are the microcosmic co-creators of the reality of our universe that exists and evolves as a unified entity. Thirdly, we then strip away the appearance of duality-based perception where we're separate from each other and from the wider world and realize that its deeper, most fundamental nature is unified. The fourth is that that doesn't mean that we go into a grey goo. <laughs> what is so amazing <laughs> of this is that it enables us and empowers us to, to realize that as co microcosmic co-creators, we are unique we are unique, individuated um, microcosms of our universe's innate intelligence. And we're part of its evolutionary impulse. We're here with meaning and purpose. And we can, we're empowered in this way to understand that, yes, everything is truly interconnected. But we have our unique role to play. And collectively, we have this amazing, meaningful role to play at this moment of evolution, not just of our own species, but the entire universe. Mm -hmm. Jude, what is the nature of a hologram and fractals that um, make it the underpinning of your concept of the cosmos? Well, first of all, it's important to realize that, you know, we talk about the holographic principle in physics. 
and that's based on the study of, of black holes. And those studies show that information, the information that describes the physical properties of black holes, which is their so-called informational entropy, isn't proportional to their three-dimensional volumes, as, as we probably would naturally expect. I mean, if you have a, a book, for example, um, and it has information within it, if you have a book twice the size, twice the volume, you'd expect twice the information, everything else being equal. But when studies of black holes were done, they realized that that just wasn't the case. That instead of being proportional to their three-dimensional volumes, the information acted exactly like a hologram and was relational to their two-dimensional surface areas or event horizons. Because when you create a hologram, what happens is a beam of light is, is split. One part of the beam then is bounced off an object. It can be anything. It can be you or I or an apple. And the other beam is then recombined with the other beam and shone onto a two-dimensional surface. And a pattern's created there of information. And that pattern of information describes the 3D object that the beam reflected off. Now then if another beam is shone through that two-dimensional photographic plate, a hologram, the appearance, the 3D appearance of the original object is recreated. Now, up till now, if you can go around a hologram, you can look at it, you can walk around it, but you haven't been able to touch it and feel it, that is changing with technologies which are allowing you a hologram to be to, to feel, to seem as physically real as, as anything else. But the purpose, the, the, the characteristics of a hologram is if you divide it into tiny, tiny, tiny pieces at its most tiny pixelation, the entirety of the whole is within each tiny pixel. So it's ideal for holding the maximum information apparent in three-dimensionality, and yet it's projected from a two-dimensional um, plane. And when the study of black holes is extended to the whole universe, cosmologists are understanding or beginning to understand that our whole universe, the appearance of three-dimensional space, is holographically projected from the boundary of what we call space and time. And when you, com when you combine that to the deeper understanding that information is more fundamental than energy matter and space-time and they're emergent phenomena, then you come to the understanding of the cosmic hologram as describing what we call our universe, what we call physical reality. Now, fractals, which you mentioned, are the underlying patterns whereby which that reality is holographically manifest because fractals are geometric but they're not the ideal geometries of, of a triangle or a square they're fragmented geometries and yet they scale up and they scale down and they appear in all studies of complex systems from the scale of atoms to the scale of galactic clusters from natural systems such as ecosystems to the internet and our social, collective social behaviors. So the, all the evidence, all the evidence is accumulating now to um, describe reality in this way. It reminds me of the principal 
the hermetic principle as above, so mm. below. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and within, as within, so without. It's that reflectivity mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, holographically scales up and scales down. You know, as a healer, we, we, you, know, you know, I see the same sort of patterns of trauma playing out individuals and families and groups and nations, etc. And the whole of what we call reality, regardless of whether we, we perceive it in, as the patterns in the natural world or man-made patterns, even, even conflicts, even the incidences and the scale of human conflicts show up in the same patterns as do, for example, earthquakes. The incidence and the destructive power, the way they relate, is exactly the same as for earthquakes as for human conflicts. It's quite extraordinary. Hmm. Now, you use the word information. Is mm-hmm. that equivalent to the word consciousness? Yes in no. Yes, 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 because what I'm saying is that consciousness isn't something we have. It's what we in the whole world are. And at its fundamental self-organization, consciousness is those patterns of information. But perhaps we can use a an analogy here to say that if information is the notes, then consciousness is the music. In other words, consciousness is organized, meaningful, take it to the next level information. And information in formation is the higher level of, of patterned information. And information is the sensible bringing together of, of data. So you can take a sort of progression from basic data, which doesn't make much sense, to maybe as letters of the alphabet, as information as words, as information, as, as sentences, to consciousness as the story, the whole story. What is your opinion of a universal mind or creator principle behind all this? Well, one of the chapters in my book is, well, who makes our perfect universe? Because our universe is so exquisitely set up uh, for the existence and emergence of of ever more self-aware consciousness. And cosmology is understanding that our entire universe is fundamentally interconnected and exists and evolves as a unified entity. And also finite entity. More and more the cosmology is pointing to our universe essentially being a finite thought form in the mind, in the infinite mind of the cosmos. So in that sense, the creator is our entire universe, but ultimately the entire cosmos. And we are microcosmic co-creators of those realities. So Einstein called this cosmic mind, but what's now being clear is that, ever more clear, is that cosmic mind is infinite and eternal, and yet bubbles up with finite thought forms called universes which themselves have multitudes of 
consciousnesses making up their overall unified perspective of evolutionary impulses and exploration and experience of consciousness itself. You had an interesting description of the expansion of the universe. Um, and you, you mentioned Einstein and, and his thought experiments, and I kept on having to sit back and close my eyes and try to imagine some of the things that you were describing. And the notion of evolution and expansion of the cosmos was particularly delicious. I'm so glad you enjoyed that. I mean, I, that's how I've experienced, you know, our universe. Um, when I've when I've gone into different dimensional understandings and experiences of it, from that first moment of what we call space time, 13.8 billion years ago, but what science understands, I mean, we, we call it the Big Bang. It wasn't big, and it was definitely not a bang. It wasn't a chaotic <laughs> explosion. It was <laughs> it was it was most exquisitely ordered and extraordinarily fine tuned big breath. You know, the ancients, the ancient Vedic tradition of India talks about the out-breath of Brahma, this beautiful ordered out-breath from the very beginning of simplicity, and then this out-breath from which our universe and all its delicious, gorgeous complexity and abundance and ever greater levels of self-awareness has evolved. So I don't talk about the big bang, I talk about the big breath. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's important to understand or to internalize our own role as individual creators or co-creators. Uh, that's one of, another one of the things that I found so compelling is that it's, it's not random. We are actually the agents or the agency for evolution. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that evolution you, is going on in a unit. Yeah. Well, uh, please go on. I was just going to say that that's why I feel that this book is so important for us now. Would you agree? I, I would, and, and I, I do feel the timing is, is significant. I feel that this is a, a time whose ideas come. It's an idea whose time has come. And, you know, I, I work a lot um, on, on a global level with, with planetary healing. And it seems to me that unless we can heal our fragmented perspectives, which, you know, come from our, our appearance of duality-based reality into a realization um, of, of the truly unified nature of reality, that we'll just continue to behave as we have done with our conflicts and our inequalities and our traumas and our fear-based behaviors. Unless and until we can both heal our perspectives into a whole worldview that the cosmic hologram shares, um, you know, I'm not sure we will get through the, this evolutionary pinch point. And I suspect that in other solar systems across our, our galaxy and indeed our universe, there has been, there are, and there will be um, many, many circumstances where a dominant species on the planet gets to a point, as, as our mutual and dear friend Irvin Lasso has said, when the, the generation comes that not only 
understands itself in this wider perspective, but also at the same time has the power to destroy itself. And I think we're at that pinch point. And my understanding or my perspective is that what this does, what this whole worldview of the cosmic hologram does, it helps us understand and in understanding to experience and ultimately embody the true or true unified nature of reality. And as we do, we, we can empower ourselves. We can celebrate our uniqueness. We can celebrate our diversity and our collective wisdom and come together and find resolutions that not only enable us to consciously evolve, but in doing so to heal our relationship with our beloved planetary home, Gaia, and the wider cosmos. Mm-hmm. Dude, what is your website? Uh, Miriam, it's uh, very simple, www.judecurvan.com, and you spell it J-U-D-E-C-U-R-R-I-V-A-N. And on there, there's um, an email that folks can reach me at, which is judecurvan at gmail.com. Very good. Now, before the break, we were talking about what has happened many times, which are extinction events. And you do point Mm -hmm. out in the book that we might be in one as we speak. Tell us about that. Indeed. I mean, when scientists, when biologists and ecologists are looking at the die-out of animal species around our planet, our beloved Mother Earth, they're realizing that the die-out, not just of large species, but of many, many, many smaller ones, is equivalent to a major extinction event and probably as fast, happening as fast as some of the major extinction events in the past. And and the the evidence suggests there have been five major ones um, in in sort of um, over the last 500 million years. Um, but this time it's us that's causing it with our degradation environments and pollution and human-driven climate change. So when you take all of those together, we are the ones that are destroying um, our planetary environment and the animals that are should be and are our fellow brothers and sisters. You mention, I think, 99% of all species um, have gone extinct. So we're, we're um, at a very interesting point. And I think the difference is that we actually are doing it knowing that we have alternatives. I mean, the dinosaurs um, and, and uh, asteroids uh, didn't really play into consciousness. But now we seem to be doing this with alternative choices. And what would you say is needed to make that shift? I'm I'm suggesting that an appreciation of the principles in your book could be just what is needed. Thank you, Miriam, and I hope so. I mean, that was probably its most profound reason for for writing through me and, and, and for for coming into being was exactly that because 
Yeah, our beliefs drive our behaviours. If our beliefs are fragmented, then our behaviours are dysfunctional. You know, we see the, the, the world through a distorted lens. And collectively, our, our beliefs are, our, our worldview is fragmented and, and limited. And we see the world as separate, um, as a duality-based reality, which is not the case at all. But it seems to be, and it does a very good, you know, convincing perspective of that. But science now, for the really for the first time, has all the evidence. And I think that's what's different now. The evidence is in, it is convincing, it is compelling. And the book shares it to say, hang on, you know, we may seem to be separate, but we're really not. And yet we are co-creators. Now we can co-create unconsciously or we can co-create consciously. And if we do understand the message of the book, then we can be empowered to become ever more conscious co-creators. And we are empowered to come together. We have the wisdom. If we can see the world, you know, I think it was um, Marcel Proust said the, the, the voyage of discovery is not discovering new lands, it's seeing with new eyes. And that's what the book does. It shows the world with new eyes and a new heart. And it heartens us and reminds us um, and helps us remember that we are microcosmic co-creators of the ineffable wonder that is the cosmos. And my hope and my trust is that the book will help people to come to that understanding for themselves and then empower them to go further into that experience of unified reality while celebrating their uniqueness and coming together. So instead of acting out of the fear-based behaviors um, of apparent duality and separation. We can come together and together take a leap into love. And, and so our emergency, our global emergency, for that's what I consider it to be, can be transformed into the emergence of our conscious evolution. One of the things that is becoming more prevalent are reports of out-of-body experiences, um, uh, NDEs, and so on. And mm -hmm. the science is backing this up with the whole science of non-locality. I know you're meeting mm -hmm. up with Larry Dossi um, next week, and he has in inscribed over an arch in his home, something unknown is doing we don't know what. That's such a, a wonderful <laughs> phrase. So can you tell us what non-local awareness is and why is it so important in our understanding of ourselves and also of our relationship with the cosmos? I, I think it's crucial. Um, Non-local awareness is, is basically what Einstein called spooky action at a distance because a hundred years ago it really wasn't understood and yet the quantum theorists were actually even then understanding that for, for quantum mechanics to work, our universe has to be 
innately, non-locally interconnected, literally unified entity, the whole universe. But non-local awareness is a, a super normal phenomena such as telepathy and remote viewing and precognition. And what scientists are coming to understand is they are innate abilities for us and, and to be aware beyond the limits of space and time. And whilst causality within what we call space-time is inviolate, and that what that does, it enables us as microcosmic co-creators of consciousness to experience and evolve greater self-awareness through the appearance of duality. But such universal non-locality shows that we in our entire universe are linked spontaneously beyond space-time. And in doing so, you know, it reveals the, the deeper and unified nature of reality. And, you know, that non-locality now has been experimentally proved in laboratories at, at much larger scales than quantum entities. But also, most recently, um, there was an experiment that was able to measure non-locality as far out astronomically as 600 light years. So ever more the, the sort of experimental discoveries are backing up what quantum theory has maintained for about 100 years now, that non-locality is an innate property of our fundamentally interconnected universe. And yet within space-time, causality is crucial for us to be able to experience and evolve and learn as conscious co-creators. Hmm. You do point out as people develop this non-local awareness or trans-dimensional awareness that we still are here behind the veil, so to speak, doing our evolutionary work. Why is this information important for us in our daily lives? I think it changes everything because most, the, the scientific revolution of the 20th century, which was about quantum mechanics and relativity theory, really took place, or it seemed to be taking place, at the very, very small scale and the very, very large scale. What this is showing that the cosmic hologram, the, the signature of the cosmic hologram actually level of our everyday lives it's showing that for example cities grow in exactly the same way that galaxies form that um, the, the, uh, the, the, the fractal we talked about fractals earlier the fractal dynamic patterns of information that play out and guide the evolution of ecosystems play out and guide the existence and evolution of the internet, of the way we surf the internet, our social behaviours, how we collectively deal with each other. And again, I mentioned earlier that when um, scientists looked at the, 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 the um, existence, the, the frequencies and the destruction of human conflicts, um, a researcher called Lewis Richardson, uh, just after the Second World War, reviewed hundreds of conflicts from world wars, the two world wars, down to regional um, issues uh, and fights and, and wars 
um, over, you know, and, and found that they followed exactly the same patterning as does the incidence and destruction of earthquakes. But more recently, a team at the University of Miami, led by Neil Johnson, studied insurgencies in Iraq and Afghanistan and found exactly the same patterns. And that shows that, you know, just as for earthquakes, there's no such thing as a typical earthquake. All the patterning shows is that an earthquake with twice the destructive power in logarithmic terms is four times less likely to happen, which means that trying to predict specific earthquakes is so difficult. Exactly the same with conflicts. A conflict with twice the level of fatalities measured logarithmically is around four times less likely to happen. There's no such thing as a typical conflict. And the world wars and major wars are just outliers within this patterning. Well, Jude, we have been talking about the physical or mathematical underpinnings of the what and the how, but do you have a sense of the why? Do you feel that there is an intentionality behind our evolution? I do, and I, it's not just our evolution. You know, it's the whole of our universe soul's evolution. I, you know, we talk of, of soul consciousness, um, but the more that I've traveled, experienced, <laughs> delved into all of this over the last 60 years, is, and, and, and within the book, it's really that our universe exists and evolves as a universe soul, um, of which we are microcosms of its intelligence. So there is an innate evolutionary impulse. And our universe was set up so amazingly, specially, that enables complexity to, to evolve, um, which I write quite a bit about in the book. Um, it's not us specifically as a species, although we matter, I feel. We have major meaning because we are the dominant species. We are the most, other than perhaps whales and dolphins, we are perhaps the most self-aware species on our beloved planetary home at this moment. And we are at a major evolutionary pinch point. So the question for me is, you know, why are we here? I feel we are here to work with the consciousness of our planet, with the consciousness of our solar system, with the consciousness of our entire universe, to evolve ever greater levels of self-awareness. We, as a species, we've, we've hardly got going yet. You know, we have hardly got going yet. That's encouraging. Um, <laughs> but let's not, let's not destroy ourselves before we have the opportunity to literally grow up. It's almost as though we're a troublesome teen at the moment, trashing our bedroom, which is our planet. And, you know, we have that choice of, of do we continue headlong and, 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 and you know, co-create a catastrophic breakdown? Or do we come together to co-create a conscious breakthrough? Um, and that's why I feel we're here. We're here with the cusp of having sufficient collective self-awareness to be able to achieve that meaning and that purpose of contributing to our planetary evolution of consciousness. What do you think that conscious breakthrough would look like in practice? My sense is that we 
collectively or sufficient a tipping point of our collective awareness, our collective psyche, to initially understand the true unified nature of reality, but then more and more, and as people are doing, as you mentioned, experiencing it, you know, the, the supernormal phenomena, the non-local phenomena that people are experiencing them for themselves is, I think, crucial mm -hmm. because when we have direct experience, those are aha moments that, you know, are very, very powerful. But we can now set those aha moments within this context of the cosmic hologram. And so it, it sort of anchors us, it gives us that you know, that, that verifiability that we're not going crazy when we have a precognitive, uh, you know, precognition or we remote view or we have a telepathic experience or an out-of-body. We're not going crazy. This is super normal. And so it can be absolutely contextualized within the cosmic hologram. Um, and as we do that, as we not only understand but directly experience and then ultimately embody unity awareness, that then, for me, is is the, is the portal of our conscious emergent evolution. And my goodness me, where's that going to take us? I hope to the stars and beyond, but only because, um, based on uh, this deeper understanding, the interconnectedness of all that we call reality. Mm -hmm. You had a very interesting restatement of some of the fundamental laws of physics. Do you think they will gain any currency among your scientific colleagues? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Put it this way. <laughs> I, 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 follow <laughs> I follow the evidence to where this led to. And it's, you know, there are folks at the, the leading edge of science, but yet in mainstream science who are beginning to restate the laws of physics as laws of information um, and more and more of them are doing so and younger scientists physicists are doing so and as I say this scientific evidence isn't just physics it's biology it's neuroscience it's complex systems it's information theory it's across in a massive swathe of, of different areas of research and it's all converging to the same understanding so you know, one of the things that science does, even though it might come kicking and screaming to it, is it essentially ends up following the evidence. Um, you know, three, four hundred years ago, when Galileo invented the telescope, the Catholic priest refused to look up it uh, to see the moons of Jupiter. You know, there are a lot of scientists at the moment who don't want to look up through this telescope to this deeper understanding of, of reality. But if they don't come to this understanding, then younger ones will, because this is where the evidence is leading. Mm. I remember interviewing an archaeologist who talked about the basements of many museums around the world that were full of artifacts that would never be put on view because they um, negated <laughs> most of the <laughs> accepted uh, evolutionary principles and, and chronological uh, principle. Yes. So mathematics is kind of the beautiful underpinning that science uses to explain phenomena. And if they can get 
a result that is even reasonably close. They're happy as sandboys. Um, my, my sense is that what we're doing is giving a reason for why the mathematics works the way it does. Is that a fair statement? I think that's a very fair statement. I think one of the things with mathematics, it's, it's a language and it's a cosmic language. So it's not about inventing mathematics, it's discovering mathematics in that sense. And mm -hmm. yet, like any language, you know, um, we can make up gobbledygook words that don't have any meaning per se unless we invest them with meaning. And English is very good at this. <laughs> gobbledygook, and then somebody says, oh, that's the word. Okay, we all buy into that word. So mathematics really is open to not just the physicalized reality of our universe, but the possibilities of many other ways of, of co-creating reality. The laws of physics are mathematically based and apply to our universe, because like the instructional algorithms that operate our computers, the laws of physics, when they're restated and expanded, as informational algorithms write the instructions for our entire universe. Instead of my PC, the laws of physics are informational algorithms for the physical reality of our entire universe. And that's what physicists are now starting to understand them as and are restating them as. So the laws of physics don't change. They just get expanded and translated into this informational perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I am constantly impressed at how great an analogy the whole world of computers is for how the cosmos works. You know, the bits and the bytes and, mm. and, and the software and the hardware. So if people were to take away just one thing from the book, what would you hope it would be? Can I have two? Am I allowed two? <laughs> go on, go on. <laughs> well, first of all, in response to what you just said, you're absolutely right. Computers and, and, and our technologies, our virtual realities, as it were, our holograms, are great analogies. They're the kids' toys for which our entire universe is the masterclass. But one of the things that seems to be coming out of the technologists, especially on the West Coast of America, is to take this idea and then to say, well, oh, we might be simulations of an advanced alien race. And I, re I refute that entirely because I don't think that follows the evidence to where it needs to be followed to, which is the cosmic hologram. And I think it's incredibly disempowering. It just kicks the can down the road of who created our universe. So I just want to put that on really to say no to that. So that's not a message I want people to take away. It would be rather a message I, I don't want them to, to give any credence to. The message I would hope that readers understand, and as I say, come to experience and embody in their own lives, is the true, truly unified nature of reality. And by doing so, become inspired and empowered to become ever more conscious co-creators, both in 
fulfilling their own unique contribution um, and coming together for us to fulfill our collective destiny in the evolutionary unfolding of our universe. Beautifully stated. Well, we have been speaking with Dr. Jude Caravan about her book, Cosmic Hologram Information at the Center of Creation. Jude, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Miriam, it's been my absolute delight and pleasure. Thank you so much, and thank you to all our listeners. Thank you so much. And I cannot wait for your next book, because I have an inkling of what it might be, but I'm not going to say so there. (laughs) In the meantime, (laughs) in the meantime, I hope you'll join us next week for our wrap-up show. I am Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.